0: This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Money and Markets podcast. I'm Danny Houston, and joining me to discuss—and the word is still volatility when it comes to markets—Tom Sieber from Shares Magazine.
2: Thanks, Danny. Yes, volatility is certainly still the word as markets focus not only on the situation in Ukraine, but also another COVID lockdown. Feels strange to be talking lockdowns again, but Shenzhen in China is under new restrictions, which has affected share prices in Asia and beyond. Um, Although more recently, there have been some moves by the Chinese government which have reversed these falls.
1: We will also be assessing oil prices, which fell back under $100 a barrel on Tuesday, largely because of what is going on in China, and also discussing moves by various governments to shore up security of supply.
2: And we're going to be hearing from Andrew Jones, the CEO of London Metric Property. Now, this is a real estate investor, but is taking a good look at technology because as many motorists switch to electric vehicles, there are opportunities to be grabbed when it comes to charging, as we're about to find out.
1: And as a new taxier rushes towards us, our Head of Personal Finance, Laura Souter, and Charlene Young, Pensions and Savings Expert for AJ Bell You Invest, will be answering your ISA questions. It's another episode, though, where I really feel I need to explain when we are recording this, because there are so many factors impacting markets at the moment. And from one day to the next, there really are huge swings in the way markets are behaving. So, It is lunchtime on Wednesday, just hours from an interest rate decision from the US Federal Reserve, a day from the Bank of England's interest rate decision, which we're going to touch on a little bit later in the podcast. But the big news that's really swaying markets today, Tom, is out of China. What's going on?
2: So yes, there's multiple things going on with regards to China. The key one, and, and it's almost in the background, I guess, in a way, is, is its relationship with Russia. So there've been some reports that China might be more willing or is becoming more willing to provide economic and even more controversially military support to Russia in Ukraine. Um, but With this background noise, um, we've also seen the lockdown in Shenzhen that we've already mentioned, as well as some mounting bad debts in the property sector and some existing regulatory pressures um, on Chinese companies which have been cranked up. And also there's some concern about the fate of some companies' listings outside of China. Now, after seeing some pretty severe falls in share prices, particularly for the big technology stocks I um, think the likes of Tencent and Alibaba. Beijing has stepped in with a pledge of support for the market. Clearly, there was a need for some kind of action. And what they've done seems to have done the trick for just now. We've seen a bounce back um, today. However, there is still this key uncertainty over what exactly will happen between China and Russia if China does make its support for the Russian regime's actions more concrete or explicit then you might expect a reaction in the West and therefore further volatility in Chinese shares. And then obviously, not to mention the continuing spread of COVID and any further restrictions that might come from that. And that's a further reminder that for China, the pandemic is not over, even if um, particularly in the West, it's been pushed out of investors' minds by recent events.
1: Yeah, you're right. It does feel really odd to be talking about lockdowns in the week where, here in the UK, the last of the COVID travel restrictions comes to an end at the end of the week. And so much of our attention has been focused on what is going on in Ukraine because we've had more sanctions, more companies severing ties with Russia, more peace talks, which the Ukraine president has described as hard, but finally realistic. So, you know, that is still having a big impact.
2: Definitely. Um, I mean, aside from the the sort of Chinese aspect of it, the, the awful conflict in Ukraine continues to impact the markets. Um, as you said, we've seen um, more companies cut ties with, with Russia. We've seen Imperial um, Brands and British American Tobacco, notably, um, do that. Um, and there is... <laughs> as you alluded to, some hope building that there might be a peace agreement that could be reached between the Russian invaders and Ukraine. It it was quite notable to see the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, um, publicly saying that the country has to accept it it will not join NATO for the time being. And that's seen as being a key sensitivity for Russia. Um, I think it's worth pointing out, though, that even if the markets would likely see significant relief if there were any serious moves towards a ceasefire, um, and, and I'm sure there would be relief beyond the markets, you know, if that were to happen too, the fallout from the conflict is unlikely to be a, a sort of short term thing. You're not going to see a return to the status quo pre-Russia's invasion. And the impact on inflation is still to fully feed through into um, the global economy. And, you know, one thing we are seeing, you know, as we touched on earlier, is continued volatility in the commodity markets with the oil price some way back from the highs it reached recently.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was amazed watching the oil price yesterday, because that is something that I've taken to do, just, you know, watching it go up and go down. And it, yes, volatile is a word that we could use here too. But yesterday, Tuesday, it fell below $100 a barrel. That's for Brent Crude at one point. It has topped above that again today, but but only slightly, although We haven't, of course, see the same happening at the petrol pumps and I've had to fill up my car with diesel recently and fuel jumped by two pence. This is diesel from um Monday to Tuesday to a record one pound seventy six a liter up from almost one pound seventy four petrol prices have also increased to record highs
2: yeah i don 't know about you i I feel like I remember when it went over a pound and that, that felt like quite a big milestone so.
1: Yeah, and having discussions on social media with people who are saying, look, you know, as soon as those um, oil prices rise, we see immediate action at the pump. And, and a lot of suppliers are saying, well, look, we have to buy in advance. So what you're seeing are prices as they were, not prices as they are today. But it does seem that price hikes happen incredibly quickly. And those falls take an awful lot longer to filter through.
2: Indeed. And security supply has been a huge focus of late with all sorts of discussions underway globally.
1: Yeah, this is interesting, particularly as, of course, we've just been talking about China. And the volatility of the price has made a lot of countries think about security of supply, about where they buy their oil and gas in the future. And we know that there have been talks between China and Saudi Arabia over yen price contracts on and off for years. But the Wall Street Journal has said that right now they are very much on again. And if that happens, it it would be a big shift because at the moment, 80 percent of the world's oil is sold in dollars and in fact, 100% of Saudi oil is sold in dollars. That is following a deal which was struck in 1974 during the Nixon administration. But 25% of Saudi oil is bought by China. And we know that China uh, has has been trying to, um, you know, really... Increase the amount of oil which is sold in yen. It introduced yen price contracts back in 2018, but they haven't really made much of a dent so far. And there are a lot of people saying that maybe what is going on at the moment could fundamentally change the oil market. We know at the moment that British. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is in Saudi Arabia having talks about you know trying to get more Saudi oil into the UK, obviously to try and bring the price down. We also know, and this is quite interesting as well that India has been in discussion to buy more Russian oil because of course, although the us have banned um, the buying oil and gas. Europe hasn't gone quite that far in terms of sanctions. So that could be an avenue for Russia, obviously, to sell more oil, though a tiny amount compared to the amount of oil that they were selling to the rest of the world. But it has really changed the way that we talk about oil. And I think this is something that's going to be going on for a a lot of months.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, another effect is it's probably made Some people think hard about making the switch to electric vehicles, though there we've also heard a lot about issues with metals supply, which potentially impacts manufacturers' ability to hammer down the price um, at which vehicles are sold. And that will obviously play a huge part in take up. Another thing that will play a significant part is charging and the ability to charge easily, quickly and consistently.
1: Yeah, uh, the boss of Podpoint, which is a huge EV charging player, recently said that he thought the petrol station as we know it would become a thing of the past and that charging points would need to be integrated into our way of life. So where we shop, where we get our hair cut, use the gym, that sort of thing. Certainly, the time it takes to charge a car does mean that people are stuck for a chunk of time. And that creates opportunities, according to Andrew Jones, the CEO of London Metric Property, who I caught up with a couple of weeks ago. How much are you thinking about the shift to electric vehicles? How big a part does it play in your thinking about your properties? Um.
3: I mean, it, it's let's start with the fact that I think that there's lots of lots of technological innovations that continue to disrupt our lives and have done for a number of years. Um, and I think the move and the migration to electric vehicles, you know, is one of those technological advancements that will increasingly impact, you know, where we need want to put and allocate capital into the future. So, you know, as of today. We have a roadside strategy, um, which is fundamentally revolves around real estate assets that will be able to accommodate a growing penetration of electric vehicles, you know, among an adoption of electric vehicles by the UK public. So certainly in the roadside business, it's a very big part Uh, on our out-of-town retail portfolio. It it, takes up a a lot of thinking. and even on our new developments of warehouses, increasingly, we are seeing a number of our potential customers wanting the capacity and the capability to have space dedicated to, to, to uh, electric vehicles. Um, you know, we've recently completed a you know, the state-of-the-art urban fulfillment center for, for Amazon, where we built a car park deck where the top deck is completely 100% devoted to electric vehicles. If that's what they how, how they choose to operate it, so increasingly it's you know it, it's a big part of our decision of where we allocate capital, um, but but it's bigger than that in some ways. Danny, it's, it's about really you know looking at the trends that are taking place in the wider world and then allocating capital to take best advantage of those.
1: Let's talk about the the retail offer um, first of all uh, in yep. isolation, uh, because uh, I saw that um, the boss of Pop Point at the weekend was talking about the fact that in the future petrol stations wouldn't exist. He thought, as as we know it, and that places like retail parks, supermarkets, mm-hmm. will become the place of choice for people to charge up their cars, places where they can do things at the same time and you've just signed a deal with mfg to to do just that to provide just that kind of offer
3: yeah i i think that that, that's quite a big statement you know i live in you know southwest london there are no retail parks so you know charging electric vehicles um actually is taking place within what we call not we don't call them petrol stations we call them forecourts um you know i live literally within a five minute drive in my house I have the choice of going into a, a brand new state of the art MFG facility that offers both you know EV charging but also you know petrol and diesel and maybe in time you know maybe hydrogen I don't know yet but whilst I'm there um, you know to pick up on the theme you know I can get a cost of coffee and I can do some grocery shopping in the budgets alternatively I can go to the Shell facility where they've converted a uh, a former petrol diesel station into an ev charging facility and instead of the old what i used to call the the old kiosk which was confectionery tobacconist and news agents it's now a little waitrose with a cost of coffee by the side of it Um, so i don't think petrol stations you know in in the traditional sense will disappear i think they will be repurposed to add you know additional facilities whilst we wait whether or not it's we wait you know 20 minutes whether or not we wait um you know 10 minutes whether or not we wait six minutes uh to to recharge our cars it will there will be other options available to us
1: because we're kind of captive consumers if we're having to wait that amount of time it's not like the couple of minutes it takes to fill up your car at the moment it could be 20 30 minutes 20 30 minutes in
4: which people can spend money
3: yeah you're, you're, it's what we would call the halo spend you know you are a captive customer and you know and I think you know I think the number of the the operators whether or not it's MFG, whether or not it's BP whether or not it's it's Shell whether or not it's EG I, I think that they are you know they're conscious of this opportunity which is why the quality of services that you get from four courts is rising you know almost on a on a daily basis you know as indeed it is in service stations you know the quality of facilities that we now get on a you know, in a new motorway service station is a, is a very, very long way from, from my own recollection of service stations, motorway service stations when I was a child, you know, being driven up and down the M4.
1: You look back now with horror and think, well, why wasn't it always like this? But hindsight's a wonderful thing. And, and you were involved quite early on in terms of bringing petrol stations to supermarkets.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, because again, that, that's it's all about the facilities. You know, you come out of your, you know, if you take my own example, you know, I, you know, I've got issues about the, the delivery of, uh, and availability of the vehicles at the moment and the charging facilities. But I'm going to have a choice. I'm going to be able to go right to West Hill to the MFG facility to get a Costa and a grocery shop at Budgeons, or I can turn left out of my house and go to Fulham and, 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 and you know, charge my vehicle and pick up a you know the grocery shopping at little waitros and, and and get you know and get a coffee as well. I mean it's, it's great and but but also I think there'll be other facilities you know particularly where land is not so constrained as it might be in southwest London, uh, and hence the comment about the retail parks. You know our, our transaction with MFG is all actually about retail parks rather than rather than repurposing forecourts. You know and and that will be whilst it's charging let whether or not we go into. Not some, you know, whether or not we go, we go into a giraffe, whether or not we go into a Leon or whether or not we want to go into a to a KFC or, or McDonald's or Starbucks or Costa. It it's it's you know we're we we the the current generation are going to you know they're, they're they're pretty time poor. You know the, the, the days when they wanted to spend an hour and a half running around a supermarket on a Saturday morning is is is, is you know I don't think that's going to be repeated with the next generation. Um, I think the facilities available to us will continue to um, continue to improve.
1: When you were having those discussions when you know uh, petrol forecourts were beginning to appear in supermarkets yeah. did you have that same sort of some people were raising an eyebrow some people were saying this isn't going to work
3: no i the 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 great thing about the petrol stations and by the way it started with with petrol stations you know the first generation of supermarkets as you you imply didn't have petrol stations then you know the the, the that the the grocer started putting them in and then that's followed by drive-throughs other things to you know to improve the offer um and and i remember that one of the first transactions i did with with tesco's on a petrol site on, on a site on one of my assets was it wasn't actually even about whether or not the petrol had to the petrol station had to make money it was actually about what the, the halo spend that putting in a pfs might do to the overall turnover of the grocery super grocery store or supermarket um, and I, I think that that's right. I mean, people talk about whether or not some of these 4 operators are going to make as much money out of electricity as they do out of petrol and diesel. But actually what they might lose there, they pick up, as, as you say, through the, you know, being, by being a captive customer, um, you know, for, for whether or not it's coffee or whether or not it's, it's uh, you know, topping up their grocery spend.
1: Are things speeding up in terms of this transition you spoke earlier about the amazon warehouse about conversations you're having when you are creating things for customers are you getting more demand in terms of this kind of technology
3: we're getting more demand for power the need for power to give the occupier optionality um so power i think sites that that we're able to deliver you know you know More power capacity will will undoubtedly enjoy more demand and and, and probably better returns than those that that, have got that are power constrained. Um, And what I think we have to also be careful of when we talk about EV chargers is there's a great, there's an enormous range that's available today. You know, from you know whether or not it's a home charger, a work charger, or or whether or not it's you know hundred and fifty kilowatt charger that you might get on a on the latest mfg site you know the 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 charging times you know vary you know from i don't know you know five six seven hours at home to it could be 15 minutes if you've got an you know an ultra fast charger Um, but that requires big investment um as well as having a power capacity Um, and it may be that some locations are not capable of, of of delivering that 150 um and and they you know they have, you know, that the offer is limited, is more limited. But those who get there get there first will, will I, I think, will get incredible first mover advantage. You know, I think that if you know that when you go on to an MFG or whether or not you when you go on to a you know a BP or a shell site, you you know that there's going to be a fast charge available to you. I think that the, that they will start quickly develop brand loyalty amongst the customer.
1: London metric, that the name suggests that you have huge operations in the capital but it's not just the capital you have uh, obviously um sites elsewhere yep. Yep. just in terms of covid um there, there's been a lot of talk about the sort of shift in lifestyle about people moving out of the capital did you experience that and are you sensing that the the tide is turning now
3: oh i sensed it i mean <laughs> um we are uh... You know, I live, as I said, in southwest London, but, uh, you know, our office is, is right in the heart of the West End, right in the middle of square and Green Park. Um, you know, and even today, there is a, you know, almost normality is returned. Um, but I think that's it's different for different businesses, and I think it's different for different micro geographies across London. Um, I think that it is London has taken longer to come back than other parts of, of the UK. Um, but it, 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 it almost feels, you know, 100% normal. Not quite, but, but, but we're very, very nearly there. I mean, if I look at occupancy in our office today, I think we're at 100%. You know, um, you know they, we're never at 100% because there's somebody on holiday or there's some, maybe somebody's outside, but, but you know, it's, it's definitely at pre-COVID levels. Um, but look, I, what I would say is, you know, it comes back to what I touched on before about technological advancement, is that I think technology is impacting a lot of how we live, how we work, how we travel, how we shop, how we integrate with our with our friends and family. Um, And I I think what happened in that, you know, over the last couple of years in in some ways has just accelerated some of those trends. You know, I I think that um, a lot of what we're experiencing today was already in the system. And the fact that, you know, you and I can converse over a media that possibly wasn't even known to us two years ago. Um, I think that um is, I suppose is is, is evidence of that that is taking place. Um but look, London's a world city. Um it has a huge amount going for it. I mean, you know, it's a brave person to to bet against London.
1: And just finally, um in terms of investors, what what are you most excited about over the next two to five years for the business?
3: as I said I, I think that technology is is affecting a, an awful lot of our daily lives, um, that will have a profound impact on real estate, um, and I think that the gap between the winning real estate subsectors and the losings will be very very wide and, and wider than it has been for, for very 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 many years, um, and therefore my job to allocate our capital into the into the subsectors that we think are going to win for us, you know whether or not it's it's um, the logistics business, whether or not it's our roadside strategy, whether or not it's our our long, long income strategy, um, you know that, that that that's that's something that you know we will continue to push on with. The, the other thing I would say that you know we do live in a in a world where we still have very low interest rates, um, where it's very difficult to get an income yield from your savings, and I think that the right structurally supported real estate will do a fantastic job for you know, for investors who appreciate the reliable, repetitive and growing nature of income that can come with investing in the right real estate. And so, you know, I've been on record before to say, you know, our ambition is to continue to pay well-covered progressive dividends and eventually join the, the Dividend Aristocrat Club. Um, that comes with, with continuing to grow and compound your, uh, your um, you know, your, your incomes um, and that will that that will be easier to 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 obtain, you know, where you when you allocate capital into the right subsectors of real estate.
1: Andrew, thank you so much for your time.
3: It's been a pleasure to talk to you. You're very welcome. Have a good day.
2: Really interesting points from Andrew there. And if you've got any suggestions for people who might be great to talk to on our Money Markets podcast, do get in touch.
1: Yeah, email us, podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Now, as I said earlier, we're recording this Wednesday lunchtime, which is why we're not going to talk in great detail about interest rates because those decisions will have been made by the time you listen to this pod. Though markets, they're not really expecting any surprises, so the only real volatility might come from any discussions around future plans obviously inflation has been ramped up by what is happening in Ukraine. That's not just putting pressure on central banks. Number 11, being barraged by calls to act on what is being called the cost of living crisis. I mean, I I don't think I've I've seen a paper yet over the last week that hasn't had somebody calling for the Chancellor to do something, Tom.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. He may be sort of short of many levers to pull. But I think you're right, even if it's a gesture towards something politically, it feels like there will be significant pressure to do that. And, and obviously, you know, whether or not he might do more um, in the autumn, you know, remains to be seen. But I think, I think you're right that there is certainly pressure being ramped up on, on Rishi Sunak to, to take some kind of action.
1: Well, Dan and I are going to have a spring statement special podcast next week. uh, And that statement handily comes in hours after the latest UK inflation figures are out that date is interesting, because for the last year or so, inflation figures have come the day after jobs figures. And I know certainly, um, I was having a look through the Office for National Statistics website wondering where the inflation figures were. And and, uh, I I did hear a couple of uh, other broadcasters talking about this as well.
2: We've also had an update on the inflation basket. So things like men's suits are out, dog collars and antibacterial wipes are in. Now, You know, it's a lighter story in some ways, but the basket is important because it's used to measure price rises and generate that all important inflation figure we've just been talking about. There are more than 700 items, goods and services in the basket. And the changes really reflect the shift in our lifestyle over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, because of course, you know we've been working from home, and the one that caught my eye because it is absolutely the case here: um, single donuts—they are no longer in the basket because <laughs> people, you know, aren't stopping off for lunch. Right. But those multi packs of cakes—they are in the basket sure. because you know if if you go into the supermarket, why buy just one? But but you're right. I mean, that there has been a big shift in how we live. And that has to be reflected in that basket, because of course, there are huge decisions that are made from the information that is gathered because of it. Um, You know, just think about the shift to hybrid working, just think about, you know, the way that we travel to work and and all that sort of stuff. It's been really fascinating to see the difference and also, clearly, how much we love our pets.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: (laughs) Now, before we chat with Laura for our ISA special, there is a story that has caught your eye, Tom.
2: That's right. And it's a bit of a strange one, to say the least. So US cinema chain AMC Entertainment, which kind of had its moment in the sun as a so-called meme stock um, last year, as it was targeted by, I don't know if people remember this, most people probably will, the Wall Street Bets group of investors on the social media platform Reddit. Um, has announced plans to invest in a gold mining operation um now amc has been spreading its wings of late it it's decided um a month or so ago that it could do popcorn better than most and announced plans to sell the snack outside of movie theaters however at least there's a little bit of a tangential connection there this feels like much more of a leap and in what To me, it felt like a fairly comic piece of understatement. Its CEO, Adam Aaron, admitted the $27.9 million investment in Highcroft mining was not, in quotation marks, an obvious investment. Um, The deal was reportedly brokered by a major Highcroft shareholder, Mudrick Capital. And the founder of um, that institution, Jason Mudrick, approached Aaron about how um, Highcroft could go about raising additional funds. Um, apropos of nothing, Mudrick took part in the debt restructuring that re- refinanced AMC in 2020.
1: Right, Laura Souter is here. Hi, Laura. Hi there. And it is the time of year when we do literally chain you to your desk. Have you actually left your desk yet this
4: week? Well, I flitted between my desk at home and my desk at the office, so that gives me some variety. But no, it is a crazy time of year.
1: It is. One of the most bonkers moments of the year, the tax year end. It is rapidly approaching. So right now we're bringing you our own ISA special. We asked all of you for your questions about ISAs and tax year end, and we got our experts to answer them for you. In the hot seat is Laura Souter, obviously, AJ Bell's head of personal finance and Charlene Young, pensions and savings expert for AJ Bell You Invest. Laura, let's start with a simple one. When is the
4: new tax year for an ISA? Ah, oh, you're easing me in with an easy one. I like it. So the new tax year starts from the 6th of April. Um, and the reason that that's significant is that's when all of your allowances reset for the year. So things like your ISA allowance or junior ISA allowance, but also your income tax allowances.
2: Another seemingly fairly straightforward one. Someone has asked, what funds or ETFs can I hold within my ISA?
4: So I thought this was an easy question. And then it turns out it's slightly trickier than you realise. So most funds and ETFs now can be included in an ISA. So if it's a a mainstream fund, um, based in the UK or in the EU, then it's, it's, Pretty likely that it can be included. Um, It's fairly rare that an investment would be listed on your platform if it couldn't be included in an ISA. Now, some platforms, if you click through to the information on the investment, will tell you um, if it can go into an ISA or a pension. Um, Others won't. So if you're in doubt, you can call up your platform and find out. Um, There were some, obviously the question was just about funds and ETS, but there are some examples of individual stocks that can't be held. So for example, Chinese tech stock Tencent can't be included in the ISA because they're not traded on an exchange that HMRC recognises. So there might be some slightly more well-known names that might catch you out. So let's go to Charlene next. So someone's asked a bit of a trickier one. Can I bed and breakfast any of my shares?
0: So I think the question here is referring to the practice of selling some shares you already own and then buying the same shares back quite quickly. This was used in the past to manage capital gains and use some of the annual exempt amount each year that we all get, but where you might actually still want to continue holding that stock. Now, the taxman did clamp down on this, I think it was 1998, and that was with the bed and breakfasting rules, um, which are referred to in this question. And these catch sales and subsequent repurchases where they are within 30 days of each other What you can still do if you have some ISA allowance remaining is sell certain shares that you might hold in an investment account. So unwrapped accounts, not ISAs here, and then buy them back within your ISA. This is known as a bed and ISA transaction. So you effectively crystallise any capital gains or, or losses. And then once the investment is held in your ISA, it will grow tax free from then and any income will also be free of tax going forward. Now, of course, you need to consider your remaining ISA allowance and your capital gains tax position for the year, as well as whether the shares are an investment you are still comfortable with holding. At AJBEL Invest, if you let us know that you want to do a bed and ISA, we will also only apply one dealing fee for the transaction rather than the fee for a sale and then a repurchase. Um, You just need to let us know or your investment provider that you want to do a bed and ISA transaction, that they should be able to handle the process for you. Um, You can't just transfer the shares between the two accounts.
1: Next up, someone's asked, how likely is it that the ISA limit will ever be increased, Laura?
4: Um, I'm going to say very likely if we're looking across the entirety of time. but um, So it's not a limit that increases each year in line with inflation like some of the government allowances. Um, but when it launched, if we look back to when it launched in 1999, the annual limit was £7,000 and now it's £20,000. So it's risen a lot over the years. Um, we've had that £20,000 limit for about five years now. Uh, So some might say that it's ripe for an increase. However, £20,000 is a lot more than the average person has to put into their ISA each year. So I dug into it and had a look, and the average amount that people put in is actually just over £5,700 per person. So it would only be the very wealthy that have a lot of spare cash each year that would benefit from an increase from the current £20,000. Uh, So now we've got a question on inheriting an ISA. So someone's asked, can an ISA allowance be inherited even if someone doesn't have the cash available to invest in an ISA? So Charlene's got the answer to this one.
0: So this is a great question. So the extra allowance itself is available even if you cannot use it right away. Um, So if you plan to use the extra allowance by using either your own cash or any cash you have actually inherited, you generally have up to three years from the date the ISA holder died. If the administration of the estate takes longer than three years, you can actually get some more time um, up to 180 days from when everything is wound up. I mean, that would be quite rare, but useful to know in case it does apply to you. Um, The background for anyone else listening is that although ISAs will be part of somebody's estate on their death for the purposes of calculating whether any inheritance tax is due, for instance, a spouse or a civil partner can actually inherit an extra ISA allowance amount that reflects the value of their loved one's ISA. This will be in addition to the usual £20,000 ISA allowance that we each get every tax year. If this applies to you, you can make use of this extra ISO allowance by using your own cash or cash inherited from um, the deceased investor. Or if you didn't actually want or need to sell the underlying investment still held in the ISA, you can actually transfer these investments to an ISA of your own to use the extra allowance. The time limit here is 180 days from the date the administration of the estate is complete. So to use the investment option, the new ISA and the former ISA do also actually have to be with the same company. In terms of the value of what the additional ISA allowance will be, um, since December 2018, the value will be the higher of of two amounts briefly. So the ISA value at the date of death or the value of the ISA account on the date the administration of the estate is effectively complete. So um, it's whichever is the highest of those two values.
2: Yes. And someone has a question about using their ISA for a house deposit. Laura, can you answer this one? I have money in cash. So I'm quoting the person now that I plan to use for my house deposit, but the purchase might fall through. Should I put the money in bond ETS before the ISA deadline and then withdraw the money if the purchase does go through?
4: So this is obviously one that's a bit specific to the person's circumstances. And we obviously can't give advice to that person directly. But I think the general themes here are interesting. So essentially what they're asking for is should they start investing their money on the off chance that their house purchase falls through and they don't need that money for a house deposit and also lock in their ISA allowance before? Um, The deadline, because if you don't use that twenty thousand pound ISA allowance before April um, the fifth, then you don't get to use it again. It's kind of a use it or lose it allowance. Um, However, generally we say five years or more for investing. So this person is talking about using bond ETFs, presumably because they are likely to be lower risk than putting the money into um, stocks and shares. However, if we look at markets at the moment, they're very volatile and you probably wouldn't want to risk your house deposit money uh, because the last thing that you want is to come and complete on that house purchase and then realise that bond markets have fallen and actually you don't have the money there for the deposit. Um, One option for this person if they wanted a more risk free approach, but still wanted to uh, lock in their ISA allowance for this year would be to put the money in a cash ISA. Um, ahead of the tax year end deadline. And then if their house purchase did fall through and they wanted to invest that money, they could transfer that to a stocks and shares ISA, and that wouldn't count towards next year's ISA allowance. And so finally, let's go to Charlene with a question about ISA transfers, which goes on nicely. So someone wants to know, can you put the £20,000 ISA limit into a cash ISA, leave it in there for the majority of the tax year, and then just before the tax year end deadline, withdraw the funds and put them in a stocks and shares ISA?
0: Now, unless your ISA is a flexible ISA, I think you might come unstuck here because any funds you withdraw from an ISA environment will then count again towards your annual ISA allowance if you try and replace them. So in this example from the listener, the investor has used their £20,000 allowance in that cash ISA for the tax year. If they then withdraw those funds, um, they're still going to have no ISA allowance remaining for the rest of the tax year. I know you did ask about withdrawing the funds rather than transferring, but if you did in fact transfer the funds from the cash ISA to a stocks and shares ISA, the funds stay within the ISA environment. They will keep their tax free status and that transfer would not use any more of your ISA allowance for the year. So I hope that helps.
2: Thanks to Laura and Charlene. Don't forget, if you have any questions, you can always get in touch, particularly if you have questions about lifetime ISAs. Tom Selby is going to answer all of those in an episode at the end of the month. Email us at podcast at ajbell.co.uk. And we always like it if you leave us a comment wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Thanks very much for your company this week, Tom and Laura. As I say, next week, Dan and I are going to be hosting a special podcast looking at the Chancellor's Spring Statement. Until then, thanks for listening.
0: you mm-hmm.